Amen. Well, we're beginning the We Believe series again, uh, which is probably one of the most exciting series I think we've been a part of. Uh, this week is on moderation. And I know originally, you know, moderation, we have a lot of ideas of what that might mean, but we're going to explain it a little bit better today. So let me read Foursquare's uh, doctrinal statement on moderation. In fact, let's put it on the screen. We can read this together. I kind of like that. You guys had, I, I grew up 17 years in the Presbyterian church and you guys were like so good at the whole Presbyterian reading. Like it was the perfect influctuations and everything. So let's, let's try it again. It's the slide with a lot of words. Yes, you do. We believe. Nothing? All right. It got erased. We believe that the moderation of the believer should be known of all men. That his or her experience in daily walk should never lead to him, lead him to extremes, fanaticism, unseemly manifestations, backbiting, murmurings. But that his sober, thoughtful, balanced, mellow, forgiving, and zealous Christian experience should be one of steadfast uprightness, equilibrium, Humility, self-sacrifice, and Christ-likeness. Amen? Amen. And I can't think of a better man to exemplify moderation than my father, who was completely addicted to the Holy Spirit and a Jesus freak, if I've ever met one. But he's able to do it in a way that doesn't scare me. And I love that about my father, that he can talk about Jesus 24-7, and yet he is like so attractive like if you've ever met my father you want to hang out with him and you want to talk to him for hours and hours and hours so he doesn't have hours but he has about a half hour so would you welcome cliff bursch <laughs> now you're in what time uh 10 15 exactly and i gotta like land at 10:15. i have to land it we take hopefully a and we actually pull you off the stage <laughs> either i land it this way or straight down huh one way it's going to be landed. Okay. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, you have a wonderful pastor. I've known him almost all my life. But uh, he does a really good uh, job of preaching and so forth. But I'm not a preacher. I have three sons who are preachers, and they always intimidate me when I'm in the audience because they do such a great job. But I'm a teacher. And as a teacher, I'm a little bit slower, a whole lot slower. And the older I get, the more slow I become. And, uh, isn't this a beautiful place? Uh, uh, I like the, the environment, the uh, semicircle here. It's a great place to meet the Lord, isn't it? How many people think that? It's a good place to meet the Lord. Praise God. I'm so glad you think that. Because it is. In fact, I, I was crying like a baby here. Uh, I cry a lot. I'm emotional. We're talking about moderation, by the way. So I think if you sat behind me or near me, you'd wonder, how come that old guy is crying? Well, I've been a Christian for, oh, since I was 14, whatever that is. And I'm 74. And uh, so I've been a Christian all that time. And I've cried my way through all those years. As I think about the cross, and I think about Jesus, and I think about what he's done for me, and how great he is in my life. You know, it says, um, well, first of all, I want to do some little thing here. I should do it. I don't walk very well because uh, I got a uh, a knee that doesn't want to work very well. And uh, 
Randy just, he just said this is a great place to meet the Lord. Randy is the most spiritual person we have here, so I want him to come with me. There are some good people and there are some bad, but we know this guy is good. If he would, if he'd go to Corin Ford, they would put down on his, his uh, document, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Yeah, washed. They got a great big sign. If you want your car to be washed, they put wash on that uh, thing. But now, this is a great place, Randy. I believe that. And you are one spiritual man. And now I want you to come with me. Walk with me. As you can see. <laughs> come on. This way. This way. Okay. Praise God. <laughs> okay. So here we go. Let's go out in the foyer. Praise God. Can you hear me in there? Is this a great place to worship God? It's a wonderful place, with you and I especially. One of us isn't very spiritual, but it's still okay. Now, let's go out here. Let's go. I hope you can hear me. I don't know. Once I went... Okay, here we are out in this environment here. Beautiful day of rain. Is this a great place to serve the Lord? Well, Randy, because you're so spiritual, we know any place you are is a place... Great place to serve the Lord. But some of us in here aren't so spiritual. And we can't, we don't have the credentials. But uh, we know that Randy is correct. Why is Randy correct? See, I can say, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus Christ. By the way, that's what Paul uh, preached. I believe in the Holy Spirit, but what must you really believe? I believe Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit is in me. You know, when I took Randy out here, even though he is quite spiritual, I took the temple of God out there. When Randy was out there, the temple of God was there. When Randy went outside, the temple of God was there. The temple of God dwells in you. You must know that, because if you don't know that, you'll never come to tears. You'll never be joyous in the times of trouble when you have cancer, when they say two or three weeks, and you will be gone. You'll never know that. Because you don't really believe that you are a temple of the living God. By the end of this time, we're going to talk about moderation. How many accept, is it Catherine? How many besides her believe that moderation is a great, great term for a Christian? You know... And I do too, by the way. I'm going to talk about it. Danny said, you've got to talk about this. Moderation. I'd rather talk about fanaticism. But no. <laughs> I got moderation. And I believe in it. And I'll talk to you about it. You don't have a clock here, do you? Oh, great. Because we need a big clock in order to stop me. Okay, moderation. Now we'll take Randy and we'll transform him into Paul.
Paul walks, walks, walks everywhere. We'd be a lot thinner if we were in Jesus' time. Because a few miles was a short distance for them. Ten or eight miles, they'd go in one day. Okay. Paul goes into a city. Now they have an AK-47 band there, a group, gun people. And Paul happens to say something wrong to them. So they draw him out. And they say, we don't like that, Paul, what you've been saying. And we don't think... You're doing right here. Bang. Kick him. Seems to be dead. Is that what they did to Paul? Yes, they did. Those people were good at what? Stoning. They still stone in some countries. They knew when you were dead. They stoned you enough and hit you in the head with the rocks enough and kick you. You were dead. Said, he's dead. We'll go into the city now and celebrate it at the local tavern. He's dead. Well, Randy, this fanatic, he's not like Cliff Bursch, a ninny. Cliff Bursch would say, if I would a little bit alive, I'm going to go over the next rock and the next rock and the next rock and hopefully get to the next city. But this fanatic does what? Gathers himself together and walks back into the city. Walks back into the city. He believed what? He believed that God was inside of him and that the message he had was what God wanted him to do, to give. But what does it mean by moderation? I'm going to talk to you about this. How many in the old-time Pentecostal people might believe moderation hampers the movement of God. How many believe that? Okay, that's good. One honest person in here. How many believe moderation will cause people to be less involved in the worship service? Moderation is going to make you more involved. That's where we're going to end. Moderation will make you more involved. Okay. I would like, uh, we, need to, we need to talk about the behavior in the church first before I really give you some foundation why, why moderation is important. I want you to put up uh, 14, 1 Corinthians 14, if you have a Bible, you can do it that way. We're going to start out with 6 here. And uh, it says, now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you? Unless I bring you some revelation of, or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction, even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what, uh, what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you, unless you speak intelligible words with, move it on up if you can or whatever, or I can read it here. Uh, Undoubtedly there are some, all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. 
So it is with you, since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. Move it up. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray. Now this, listen, look at this scripture right here. This has to do with your rational mind. This is intentional. This isn't, oh, I had to yell, scream, and jump up and run around here. I just had to because the, the Holy Spirit was on me and he forced me to do that. No, look at Look at this. I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will choose to do that. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they do not know what you're saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is built up, edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So if you think moderation prevents you from that, forget that. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, whatever. <laughs> I can, but anyhow... Let's just go with that. We, we, we don't need to read the whole thing. Okay, now that tells you the organization in the church. It tells what you should do. You should do it in order. This is literally, in a real sense, except the Holy Spirit is the boss, but this is the person who is leading right here. And it should fall, and so he should have the right and the privilege, because the Spirit of God has allowed him to be the leader, to say some things. Two or three things. Uh, tongues and interpretation should be given. What if four and five come? The pastor will say, okay, we've, we've gone through what the Spirit wants us to say today. And he would probably shut that down if he desired. But things are to be done in order. The Holy Spirit is under your control. In fact, I should read the very last part of that. The Spirit of the prophets, which is you, every one of you, are subject to the control of prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, of peace. So there would never be a time when people would say, well, I'm screaming and yelling in this congregation because God just forced me to do that. There's never a time of that. It says you are under control. Now my, Danny's history too, his, my grandfather, Especially, um, my dad was born in the 1800s. And so his dad was born probably in 1870 or something. But they experienced the first fall of the Holy Spirit. We call that the second reign. The second reign. The first reign was at Pentecost, the second reign came. Well, all of a sudden, these people were drawn out of different churches conservative Baptists. And Presbyterians and Lutherans, and by the way, they didn't like these Pentecostal people, and they they uh, they treated them pretty meanly if uh, when they got a hold of them. But anyhow, 
all of a sudden people started realizing, wow, the Spirit of God is real and, and, and you can speak in tongues and, and there's miracles happening and healing is happening. And, and they just went full blown into this. And you hardly ever heard, by the way, when I was young, you hardly ever heard uh, a sermon in for love, you should love your neighbor, or servanthood and that kind, because it was get people saved, get them filled with the Spirit, and off we go. Well, if that's uncontrolled, it can get in, in the way, and it can get in the way of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about the Holy Spirit and the reason we have Acts, the book of Acts, okay? Because, see, you need to know that you're the temple of God. You need to know the reason why the Holy Spirit fell upon people. Now, look back. What did the Jewish people think about where God was? Where was God? Yeah. At first, they had this Ark of the Covenant they carried through. God told them that I will come and abide with you. I'll be abide in you. I'll abide with you. And so, to prove that, there was a Shekinah glory for these people. They carried this Ark through the wilderness, and the Shekinah glory was the presence of God. You and I often want our senses to be tenelated in order to understand. We want our senses to be moved. But they did. They could see. At night, they could see a pillar of fire and a cloud during the day. God revealing himself in this materialistic world, in this material world, I should say. And so they knew that God was with them. And they carried this ark. By the way, at one time, um, they were carrying this ark from a city that it shouldn't have been in to another city. And they were reclaiming it. And it wobbled a little bit, and a man touched it to steady it, and God killed him right there. Revealing that no man or any person can come into the presence of God without being holy, being righteous. And and within the temple now, the next place was the temple. They built the temple. And there was a place called the Holy of Holies. And you could only go in the temple... One person could go, and he had to go through all kinds of ceremony as far as cleansing himself. And he would go into the temple, the Holy of Holies, and he would present, first of all, the sin for himself. He would present a sacrifice for himself, and then he would present a sacrifice for the sins of the people. God forgive them. And he would do it through the sacrificing of animals. He would go in there. Some say that they had a rope on him, on one of his legs, so that if he died there, if he didn't come out, they could pull him out. If for some reason he wasn't adequately prepared, God with them in the temple. Now, why did the Pentecostal day come? See, Pentecost is a day when they celebrated first Pentecost, It's 50 days after Passover, when you're delivered, when you're saved, okay? 50 days after the Passover from Egypt. Now they come and they celebrate a day of gathering in the grains or abundance. God is with us. But they later on celebrated it as when the law was given. The law was given. 
And so Pentecost was when the day the law was given. And they all rejoiced in it that this was the day the law was given. Now, we have on the day of the Pentecost, on Pentecost, the Spirit falling. Where is the law now? The Bible says it's written in your hearts. It's written in your hearts. Okay, now, I, I have all kinds of scriptures because but I don't think, I want to make sure I can get some of the basics. Okay, now let's talk about Pentecost. Spirit comes and they all start talking. They start talking in other tongues. But do they talk in the same tongues that we talk in? If it was probably not, most of you talk in tongues that we call heavenly language. And, but they talked in known tongues. Now there's been instances where missionaries have heard people in saying tongues actually talk in known languages. Even today. But in that day, they all spoke in known languages. Why did God do that? Why didn't they all speak in tongues as we speak? Because he's telling us, and by the way, the word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit. I wish you would all take my breakfast with that. Because I, there are times... I'll sit down there like the last one. Pete does it. I'll just, my tears will be flowing. And I'll be speaking in tongues and I will, I will be writing it. There are times I sit down because I don't skip any word in the, what I'm talking about in any book. Every sentence. I think, God, I don't understand this. Let me skip this. No, you do it. And he will say, you write. What does it say about you who have the Holy Spirit? Open up your mouth, for I am nigh in your mouth. I am present in you. Open up your mouth. Let God reveal himself through your words. And so it would say, you write, Cliff. Okay, all right, all right. This is going to be hard. All right. But up in the innermost being flows what? The Shekinah glory will flow The glory of God. The glory of God will come. But it all takes a belief that the Spirit of God is in me. I know Danny and all my kids will tell you, Dad always talks about the Spirit of God in him. That you always hear him. I always hear him. He's always present. He always says, Son, I'm with you. I've given you my eternal life. I've placed my words in you. I'm always there. That's the voice. It says, he says to me, those who hear my words are mine. Are mine. The Spirit dwells within you. Now let's go to Pentecost. Why did he do that? He's showing through tongues and different people, I am... I in, uh, uh, indwell all cultures, all people. Uh, the scriptures talks about all men. And so they could see that in every language, these were Jewish people, but they came from different cultures and different countries. 
And they were speaking in their known language because God was telling you, you people 2,000 years later, I have come to dwell in people in all lands and I will tell you, I will show you why or how it is real. The truth is there. These people spoke in known languages from different countries and different cultures. And that's the reason. Holy Spirit came. There was a certain amount of shaking. The senses were there. And so people thought, something real has happened here. Something is big. Something is true is happening. Now, later on, we, hear, we see the Holy Spirit coming again with a shaking of a building. And uh, John and Peter... They happen to heal a lame man. And uh, I'm sure there are lots of people that needed healing, but this man, he, they healed. And he jumped and went into the temple and showed himself he was heal, healed. So nobody could really avoid that. The elite couldn't avoid that. And they were really concerned, these Non-professionals, these uneducated people, are doing things like this. So the priests were pretty concerned about that. And so they brought in John and Peter, and they said, Hey, listen, yeah, you did this once, but don't you ever do this again. Don't you ever do this again. You get off the stage. Let us, the elite, lead these people. Well... They released Peter and John without doing much after, a, uh, I don't know if they had a prison term or not there that night. But anyhow, the next day, they went into a friendly environment where their relatives were there and the people who were friends. They were retreating from the authorities. And there they start praying. They start praying. And guess what? Holy Spirit fell on them. And they started speaking in tongues. Okay, what is this? Weren't these guys already baptized? Yeah, probably. They probably were the group that were on Pentecost. Do they need to be baptized again? Peter and John said, give us boldness. They prayed right before, give us boldness. Why did they need this? Because God was showing them what? The Passover was a special day, wasn't it? You were in a special place in Jerusalem, weren't you? But listen, this house that you're in right now, guess what? The Spirit of God can fall on you. Because you are the temple of God and He abides in you. Then a little bit later, we see... The Spirit of God falling again. And this was the hated Sumerians. They were half considered half Jews. And they were people that were taken out of the country and came back and they had their own kind of belief and they put it together with Judaism and so forth. And the real, quote, Jew would not really do anything or have any sort of of uh, association with them. 
Well, now they hear there's some Sumerians who believe in Christ. And so they go there and they talk to these Sumerians about the Holy Spirit. They talk about it. And guess what? Holy Spirit falls on them. Even the hated ones. The ones that aren't doing the law right. Now, see, he showed on the day of Pentecost, you don't need to go to the temple. Now, this is God. The Spirit is in you. These people, the Sumerians, said, Aha, Jerusalem's not holy. There's a mountain over here that we serve God on. That's holy. That's where God is. And now they find the Holy Spirit in them, and they realize it's not the mountain. There's still people like the Mormons go to a special temple or something. There's not the mountain where God is. It's present here in you. So in Acts, which is inspired by the Holy Spirit, is telling you these things. Now we have, the next time is Cornelius. He's an enemy to the Jews. He's a righteous man, by the way. But why is an enemy? Because he carries the uniform of the New England Whatever, patriots. He's an enemy. By the way, the most godly man I saw last two Sundays ago, after they were stabbed in the heart, was when the guys were praying. And they showed it only quickly. But there was a Green Bay Packer down with these guys that were rejoicing. How good you are, God. Oh, praise God. You made it. You made it. Oh, hallelujah. Our prayers were answered. We won. We won. We won. And there's this godly man. In a Green Bay Packer, kneeling, praying for God. What a man. I hope we all can do that if that happens to us. And not go and just and have a total pity party. But, okay, Cornelius carries the uniform of the enemy. Captain. One who decides, you go and get those people. You make sure the Jews don't do that. You do this, you do that. Now, here, you guys believe that baptism has to happen before the Spirit of God falls? Now, we don't know about Pentecost. We don't know if they were all baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. We don't know that. But here, Peter's talking to these guys. And it's a family, extended family and friends, it says. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit falls on them. And they start speaking in tongues. Wait a minute, you haven't been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. What does this show you, by the way? Where does salvation start? Where does it end? In the mind. The ascent to what you're hearing. That this Christ Jesus is the Lord. And then they were baptized. Then they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So now we have, in Acts, Holy Spirit showing you, we told the Jews that it's not the temple, it's you that has God in you. We told those same Jews, it's not where you are, it's not in a holy place, but you can be baptized, God will meet you in a shack over here. He told the Samaritans, it's not a mountain. The Holy Spirit is in you. 
he tells the Jewish people and the Romans, the Holy Spirit can be in you. And now he tells, finally, the last place we see the Holy Spirit falling is those people who were still with ambition and desire teaching the baptism of John. They were out, God is alive, teaching the baptism of John. And they were evangelists, 12 of them. And they come along and they say, have you heard anything about the Holy Spirit? Well, no, we don't even know there is anything such as the Holy Spirit. What do you mean, a Holy Spirit? What kind of concept is that? And they said, well, the Holy Spirit has come and has come through the acceptance of Jesus Christ. And so they baptize them first and then the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Now, why does this have anything to do with moderation? Because it's really, really important you understand. Remember, I took Randy out here, even though he's a very spiritual person. Randy is probably not going to go into McDonald's and start shouting, praise God, and, and, and yell and scream, he is real, and so forth. Because why won't he do that? Because he knows the environment is not where he... He'll be accepted and they'll think he's crazy. And the people who come with the white coats and take him off. He's under, the spirit is under his control. See, you need to know that. Now, listen, let's see if, excuse me, Cliff Burst gets up and he howls like a wolf. And he runs around here and he crawls through all of these things. And this is the Spirit of God. And wow, we, the Spirit, look at this guy. He's really spiritual. He, look at all that stuff. What's it going to do to the rest of you? You're going to say, I can't do that. <laughs> I don't even think I want to do that. <laughs> you know? And so what it does, it shuts you down. It keeps you from functioning the way God wants you to function. Paul says, you all have a song. I sing all the time, by the way. I don't, I can't memorize things. I don't know real words, real songs, but I sing all the time. In fact, I'm writing a journal to discover what I sing during the year. And so I write down, I put in the journal, after I write that song, what's God singing today through you? I'm going to, at the end of the year, I'm going to read that and see those different songs. Because, see, I believe the Spirit is that real. I believe there are times I'm not consciously aware, but I'm starting to sing something. And I know the Spirit in me singing, and I listen to it. I sometimes, oh, listen to that. What is the Spirit saying today? See, the Spirit is that real. But let's say if you're, you and immature people do this. They want what? They want to be up here. I'll tell you the truth. Immature people want to be over here. I'll tell you, I got the music, I got the word. Because why? They want to be seen. See, and if you mature in God, you don't care if they see you. Your passion is that you tell people about the Lord. In sense, it says to prophesy. It means to tell the deep truths of God. Now, God is working in every one of you. And because you might be reluctant, you say, well, i got to hear 
I gotta shake or I gotta cry like that. Cliff Burr cries all the time. I gotta do that so I really know that the Spirit of God is on me. And then I will. I think God wants, maybe, could be, me to say something now. See? But if you know the Spirit of God is in you and He's operating in you and He's talking to you and that you are just as spiritual as your pastor, you're just as spiritual as Cliff Burst, you're just as open to the Holy Spirit and His work than anybody else, it will give you confidence to say, I think this is what God has been dealing with me. And that takes the whole body. Let's say I'm over here and I'm really troubled with gambling or I'm really troubled with the way my thoughts are or just my I'm consumed about some different things and I know it's troubling and somebody says God's been talking to me all week about this and they speak what God has been talking to and here this part of my body or Christ's body literally Christ's body is weak And because of your willingness by faith to say something, this body here can be strengthened. Hopefully, when you go out of here, you will be edified, strengthened. Now, fanaticism serving God is really important in the sense you serve God, whether you're, we're talking, I was talking to this lady, whether you're sick going to die, you serve God. Doesn't matter. You're a fanatic. But in the congregation here, you are a gentle woman or a gentle man. You will prefer others before you. And if he gets up here, this wonderful young man, and starts to say, the Lord says this, and he talks, and Jason gets up and he says, yeah, he quits. He stops. Jason says, yeah, this is what he's been doing in my life, related to what you've been saying. And then Jason and somebody else says something. Jason stops. Why? The Spirit is under your control. The Spirit is under your control. Everything is done in order. Now, I want to read some scriptures. Just read them. Telling you the truth of God in you. Okay? Believe that, people. That makes you a Christian. A Christian without Christ, the Holy Spirit in him, is a, a uh, fallacy. It's not true. Now look, Romans 8, 9, 11. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature. And don't get carried away with that. He's talking about your living spirit. How many of you are sinless how many of you are holy how many of you are perfect to be placed in the holy of holies there's not one of you I'm sad Randy was going to raise his hand but even he's not right okay I'm picking on him no not one of you you don't come into the presence of God with sin but your spirit has been made righteous and holy. My brother just recently got saved, and he's 60-some years old. He probably was saved all his life, but he went for money. 
And he, tell, he tells me, you know, I went for money. I wanted money. And he got his business and all this stuff. And he did bad things, shortchanged people and so forth in order to make money. That was his whole life. So he made a million dollars and that kind of thing. He made money. But now he's, he's going to the food bank to get food because he's completely broke. But he turned to the Lord. And I talked to him. And we have a good relationship. And I talked to him. He still has some problems with swearing because this is the way his whole life has been lived. But he loves the Lord. And he's so fantastically on fire But I want to tell you something. He was into pornography really deep. Because his wife is also a business person. She was a nurse for many years and she did some things wrong and got in trouble with the law. But here he is and he says, you know, Cliff, when you told me that Jesus was in me, I realized wherever I was, Christ was there. And I stopped doing that. And I apologized to my wife because I mistreated her. Because I expected her to do and be like the pornography people. You know, Christ is in you. He's the power and authority in you. Does that, continue, does that eliminate things right away? No, not necessarily. It can, like Gary. Praise God. Cliff has some things in his life. That I've struggled with all my life. But, you know, in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. But I want to read these things very quickly. Uh, If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, which is true, you people, you love Christ, your body is dead because of sin. It's not going to go to heaven, no matter how good you are. Yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness, where Christ is my righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to you through his spirit who lives in you. Now, don't you know, 1 Corinthians, don't you know that you yourself are God's temple? Don't you know that? And that God's spirit lives in you? People take this as a suicide thing, but it's not. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. But God's temple is sacred. And you are that temple. My boys and girls in my family know I'm not a very religious person. But I am, in all sense, Christian in being sacred and giving God preeminence. What agreement, 2 Corinthians 6, what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God. And they will be my people. There's more to that. I'll read Ephesians 2. Consequently, you no longer are foreigners and aliens. And it says, I'll go into the last part. And in him, you too are being built together. Ezekiel is where we started. I didn't read all of that. Ezekiel, it says, I will give you, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. 
John says, uh, 14, 15, 17, If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him, doesn't know him, but you know him, for he lives what? With you, always as a companion, and will be in you. First uh, John 4.13, I'm skipping some here, there's just all kinds. We know that we live in him and he in us. Now, that's the great miracle. Let's say God. Here's the, we are part of the body. We live in Jesus. But then he lives in us. See? He says, we know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit to live in. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him. And he in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God has for us. Because he's placed himself in it. Okay, this is the things I want you to know. Where is God's spirit? When you walk out of here, you're going with God. When you get in that car, you're a temple. When you, if you do, if we go in that tavern, you're the temple of God there. Be his glory there. If you're going to be there, be his glory. Don't ever condemn yourself about things. He's not come to condemn you, but he's come to deliver you. So don't, if you feel condemnation or a feeling of sadness, no. Just say, God, you know my weaknesses. I don't want them. I'll give them to you. Please eradicate them from my life. But I'm going to serve you regardless which is the salvation message. Who is in control of the, of the operation of the Spirit? You are. You're gentle women, gentle men. You're going to prefer others above yourself, even in the congregation. If, let's say, if Cliff Burst won't stop talking, and I told Dan, you can interrupt me anytime, but uh, the day. But I, I'm talking, and Dan gets up and says, Ah, uh, Cliff Burst, you stop. That is what the Spirit wants us to do. Do all things in order. What is needed to express the will of the Spirit? What is needed? Faith. Faith is needed. Okay, look. This here is a um, what? (laughs) Okay, stand there. Now, over here is your faith. This is real, isn't it? Is this real? Cliff can push his arm through it, but it's there. How do I know it's there? James tells you. Faith is a substance. This is a substance. Faith is a substance. How do I know it's there? Through your actions. Through your actions. How are you going to benefit this church and know that you have faith and that it's really there and that people can see it is through your actions, your activity, what you do, not what you don't do. See, what you don't do, you'll never see it. But I will see this object of reality in you 
faith, if you believe. So what does it take to say something in church? It says it takes faith. It takes faith. It takes a willingness to open your mouth. It takes a willingness when Cliff Burst is doing his breakfast uh, for dad and, and I look at it and I say, I don't have any way I can attack this or it's a book. And God says, write. Open your mouth. Testify. Tell. Be. These are all Philippian words. Do, it says. Action. That's Christianity. That's Christianity. Last thing. It's 14, 10, 14. I had a, a friend, a wonderful friend who lived near me. And he just died the day after Christmas. And he, very, very rich. Uh, he, we have, he's by us because it's a summer home for him. And he has an, a home in Arizona. They like to really spend a lot of time. But his business is up here. And we're along the river, very beautiful, sitting out there. If you hear about a flood on the Puyallup, you know Cliff Burst is in it. <laughs> we're that close. We're not even, we're closer than that door back there to the river. So there he is. And now Denny gets cancer and he fights it. He's a real man. This is a real man. Football player, guy that goes, shoots every kind of animal, shoots every kind of bird, and is just tough. And, uh, but wealthy. I went to his funeral and the people around, I was underdressed. They were wealthy, wealthy people. Maybe quite a few millionaires there. They went to his funeral. Well, anyhow, I knew Danny was, had cancer and he fought it and he was relatively successful, but I wanted to see him and his wife is an unbeliever. And my wife and I had prayed for Danny. About two months earlier, when he heard the bad news, this time it's probably not going to go well with you, Denny. It's, it, we, we've run the course. And Denny, he was down, we were on our deck, and he was down like where Randy was. And we said, uh, we'll pray for you, Denny, and we're going to pray for you right now. And Denny cried. He's not a crying person. He says, I'm putting my covers on I'm putting my covers on for the end. He still fought it. That was a couple months before. In fact, they watched the Seahawks. And I wondered, Denny, you're never going to see the Seahawks in the Super Bowl. But he watched it. But I came into his place. This man didn't go to church. But he was saved a long time ago in a Presbyterian church. And I tried to approach him first. I'm sorry, I got to say this. I tried to approach him when I first got there because he knew me. And I, through my wife, kind of figured out who he was. And I tried to talk about Christianity. And he said, well, everybody, uh, now this man, everybody has their own religion. By the way, don't bother me, Cliff. Everybody has their own religion. But after we prayed and we talked about the Lord, and he says, I wish my wife would know. She's, she's an unbeliever. But he cried. And so I, now he's about ready to die. I stayed with him four or five times. Mostly he was in bed. 
just wasting away an awful long period of dying. And I knelt. I can't kneel right now, but I knelt by his chair that first time I was there. Put my arm around him. He would never, of course, allow that closeness when he was healthy. I said, Danny, I want you to know something. The Spirit of God is in you. He lives in you. And he cried. And I talked to him and I said, I want you to know something else. Because he is in you, you'll be resurrected. The Spirit will go back to the Father God and you will too. I want you to know you have eternal life. And he cried some more. This is what you need. Eternal life. You have Christ in you. He is the eternal one. Cliff Bursch and you will someday pass away. But your spirit will be with God. God is asking you to be his servants. Within a congregation, he's asking you to be loving and caring for everybody else. Do all things in moderation. Amen. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your spirit, your spirit who is alive in us. And just in this moment, Lord, as we um, go our separate ways, I pray that you would create um, just stir within us, Lord, a hunger for your spirit once again. For some of us, whether um, we've just decided we're going to compartmentalize your spirit and only allow you to speak to us or move in us in uh, certain ways or in certain environments. I just pray uh, against that in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we have a room full of professionals and, and business men and women and, and people who are working in these amazing environments. And, and I just pray that the Spirit of God would go with them, that the temple of God would go with them, um, that uh, none of us would just keep it for a Sunday morning experience but that we would um, be able to walk by your Spirit in every situation. And Lord, I just feel like some people here might even need to repent of that and, and just say they're sorry for um, their just unbelief or, or having to wait for this incredible experience where they get goosebumps. Um, but instead of uh, just waiting for the fanatical, but actually living 24-7 by your Spirit. And Lord... Um, I just pray that you'd hear our hearts and hear those in this room even now that would need to uh, repent of that, Lord, and that you would uh, give us an opportunity today, uh, even as we go into our uh, Seahawks games and celebrations, give us an opportunity today to live by your Spirit and be moved by your Spirit. So I pray all these things in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen.